you're listening to the Omega Church Sermon of the Week. Be sure to subscribe to this channel to stay up to date with our latest teachings and feel free to reach out to us via our Facebook page or website. As you listen to this message, we pray God will reveal himself to you in a fresh way. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's make our usual proclamation. Kingdom of God is here. Yes, one more time, please. Very good. Thank you, Lord. We've been uh, dealing with the new covenant for a few weeks. And um, yeah, our previous messages are available on the podcast. Who, if anybody's interested, you can go back and listen. But I thought Book of Galatians uh, flows smoothly into the concept of the new covenant. So I thought we will do uh, the book of Galatians. So it may take us through a few weeks. So book of Galatians, uh, mainly the issue in this is that it is written to churches in Galatia. That's what uh, Paul said in the chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and apostle sinned not from men was to end of it, to the churches in Galatia. So Galatia is not one city. How many of you think Galatia is one city? It's not one city. <laughs> now, how did this come, how did this all come to happen is, some people came from the place that is today modern France. They came to Asia Minor and settled in Asia Minor. And they used to be called Gauls. You know, you'll be reading in comic strips and all, you'll read about Gauls, G-A-U-L-S, Gauls. So they, from France, came to Asia Minor, settled down there, and because the Gauls settled there, that region is called Galatia. But then when the Romans came, they stamped down any opposition from the Gauls. Gauls were mighty warriors, but they stamped them down and then they extended the thing. So the area these Gauls lived, I think, is called Northern Galatia now, and then the Southern Galatia. You've got certain cities in Southern Galatia, one of the important ones is Antioch. Antioch is one of the cities in that place. But where are they now? They are in the Southern Turkey at the moment. All these churches in Galatia, the location is Southern Turkey. But right now in Turkey, there's not much of Christianity, it's just Islam at the moment. So you can see how the devil has stamped out the church in that region. But much before this has happened, during the time when Paul, I mean, uh, Paul went on three missionary journeys, many of us know. So in his first missionary journey, he went through this place and he established churches along. What is special about this work of, the, work of Paul? Before, you see in Acts chapter, when you see after Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they did... Uh, Peter and John, they helped this crippled man to be healed. And after some time, uh, you see Stephen was stoned. And there was a man called Saul witnessing the stoning of Stephen. And afterwards, great persecution rose against the church. And then people started fleeing in different directions. And as they went, they carried the gospel with them. But there's no plan in it. Paul is the first, first man who did a a systematic way of doing things. He selected the route, the royal route that goes to Rome, and this highway, he followed it, 
It was going through Tarsus, that is his own birthplace. And then beyond Tarsus, you have all these three churches, uh, three or four churches. So he established churches in his first missionary journey. And in the area of Gaul, the northern territory, there were not many churches, but only individual Christians, or few people here and there, but not big churches. But Paul, like our Lord Jesus Christ, visited them as well. You know, you are a busy man, you will focus on big churches. Why do you care for a small number of people here and there in pockets? But Paul had a different mind. Just like our Lord visited, um, uh, forgetting the place, forgive me. What is the place you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he went to the city just to meet one lady and cast out a spirit from her daughter. Okay, that's, I will come back to it when I remember. Um, I think it's the old sign of old age, <laughs> forgetting things, names. But he went to look for just one woman, and that is for her daughter. He never met the daughter. Just release the word, you'll receive what you asked for. That's it. When she went home, she found the daughter well and playing. So same way, Paul never really had a mind of trying to do things, big things only. But even he cared for small pockets of people here and there. So that's something we had to learn from him. Something we had to imitate Paul. That is, we had to focus on, not on numbers, but on God's plan, God's purpose. Wherever God's will is, you go. That's very important. So he has established churches, and not long after that, some people came in um, uh, among them, and they were trying to teach a different gospel. What is a different gospel? In these churches, mostly they were Gentiles. That means non-Jewish believers. So you got a majority of them non-Jewish believers. These Jewish people who were Christians, they came into Galatia and started teaching something different. Hey guys, it's good that you have believed in Jesus. We are also believing in Jesus. But something you need to do more, you need to get circumcised so that you can be on par with us. You will be like us. That's, that's something, you know, you, you don't expect anything that is going to happen like that. But then when they came into the, their midst, they were not completely given over to the new teaching. But this teaching was going on and the news reached Paul. And then Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia. So that means several copies of them must have been written and a messenger must have taken to each individual church and given this letter. So we have this um, letter written by Paul to the church in Galatia and his authorship is not at all disputed any time by anyone. Even the most strong critics, they agree that it is Paul who wrote this epistle. <laughs> so what did he write in this? We'll come to the teaching of those people and uh, the, the new gospel they were trying to share uh, a little more later. But we'll go through one by one, uh, verse by verse, we'll study this scripture. Now that's a bit confusing to you, isn't it, that picture? Uh, don't worry, I will explain. <laughs> See, this is what you do when you study the scripture, it's a different way of doing things. When you do a devotional kind of a study, it is different. So this is trying to study Bible as we, to, as we ought to do diligently 
look for each word try to understand what the holy spirit is saying to you so now paul an apostle now he is first uh, and also those people challenged the apostleship of paul he said apostle uh, you, know, you guys have become believers to that man paul he is not a disciple of christ he never was among the 12 so why do you want to follow him that was one of the main accusations of this judaizers are the people who brought a di- different gospel to the churches in galatia so paul wants to affirm his apostleship he says paul an apostle you guys say i am not an apostle i am saying i am an apostle and <laughs> that's what paul is saying but how does he affirm it he says sent not from men nor by man now listen carefully sent not from men not by man so here sent not from men not from men is basically the group of uh, anybody who is an authority like the sanhedrin or the high priest or kaifas or whoever it is i am not sent by them nor by any man any particular man so here men and man also stands for both it can be even the, even the the government that is in the room the roman rulers you know they are they are the bunch of people who are running the state so i don't represent the state i don't represent the religious authority the high priest i don't care i am not sent by them i am not sent by this but by jesus christ now that's very very interesting later on you will see another word there about jesus christ uh, and god the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me now when he's talking about it he's referring to his own story of conversion when he was on the uh, after stephen was stoned he was the one who was standing there as a witness people kept their robes at his feet whoever wanted to throw stones they left their clothes there went and threw the stones then come and pick up their stones and go he was a witness there standing he saw stephen being stoned and afterwards he became more bold he took authority from the high priest the existing sanhedrin the high priest and um, he took letters from them went to different places and dragged these people who were believed in jesus if they were jewish people and now they are believing in jesus he would drag them and bring them to jerusalem and arrest them arrest them and bring them and put them in jail here in jerusalem so that is how he was doing and on one of his other missions he went to damascus very far off place damascus he was on the way to damascus when he saw a bright light and he was thrown down the uh, whichever animal he was riding he was thrown down and he heard a voice saying saul saul why do you persecute me saul saul why do you persecute me he was persecuting the christians but jesus says you are persecuting me so whoever touches a christian is touching jesus christ basically and then who are you lord he says i am jesus jesus of nazareth whom you are persecuting and what do you want me to do lord go into the city it will be told you what to do and then you see all the story in in, in the book of acts uh, how in chapter 9 of the acts you will see all the story so please read acts, acts chapter 9 when you go home to know more about the conversion of uh, paul but then when ananias was asked to go and see him he was told he is my chosen 
vessel. He is my chosen servant. And he is going to, I will show you, I will, I will show him how much he is going to suffer for me. So there was in his call suffering included. Because he is going to preach the gospel against the opposition of the Jewish people. Against the opposition of the world. He is going to stand against the world. So God has called him with a call that is very, very important. But always remember, when you, have, when you read the word call in the scripture, you will see grace come along. Do you see, you see the same thing in, in here as well? In uh, verse 3, uh, I will show you when it comes. Don't. I'm only trying to give you a brief preview before I go into verse by verse treatment. So, <coughs> he was questioned of his apostleship and he's trying to affirm his apostleship. But then he says one interesting thing here is, the original apostles were apostles appointed when Christ was in the flesh walking on the earth. But he says, my apostleship is not from that Christ, but the one who overcame death, who rose again from the dead, who is exalted to the Father. That Christ has appointed me because he saw Christ on the way to Damascus. You get the point? He's saying he's an apostle. Why? Because he has seen the risen Christ. That's one of the qualifications in the book of Acts you will see. When they had uh, Judas Iscariot die, I mean, he committed suicide. And uh, when they were waiting, Peter says, this scripture has to be fulfilled. The one who has died, someone has to take his place. So let us cast lots. And they picked up a name called Matthias. You don't hear about him rest of the scripture anywhere. But God had planned Paul to replace. He was the twelfth one who has seen the Lord and who has labored much for the Christ and for the gospel. And that is God's plan and God's purpose. So here you see, he's an apostle, sent not from men, not by human agency. What it means is not from men is not by human agency. And all um, the authorship. And the designation, you can see in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 18, and 1 Corinthians 9, 1. I put it down there. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the, in the Lord? This is defending his apostleship to, apostleship to Corinthians. See, this is one of the things he had to fight all his life probably. All the time he was being challenged, and he had to say again and again, I'm an apostle because I've seen the Lord. And... The very proof of his apostleship is the people in the church. He was telling the Corinthians, are you not my work? Have you not come to know Lord because I came and preached the gospel to you? That is a stamp and um, an indication of my apostleship. You are authenticating my apostleship, my call, the grace that by which God has called me. Right or wrong? He's very, very right. Okay. But by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now here you have to see every word has to be important. The word but who will divine agency. And then you see Jesus Christ and God the Father. They are put on the same level. Like the Jewish people already knew Jehovah who is God. Who is God. But now Jesus Christ has come along revealing the Father. But where do you put him? 
So far you only have heard only one thing. Israel, lo Israel, the Lord your God is one. That is Jehovah. But now comes Jesus Christ. So do you put him below Jehovah? Above Jehovah? On par with Jehovah? So he is writing it very clearly. Jesus Christ and God the Father on the same level. This is a new teaching. The new teaching about the Trinity, the concept of the Trinity. So he's dealing with the two persons of the Godhead and putting them on side by side. Says they are on equal status. They are not one above, one below, but both are on the same level. And I think I must need the laptop a little higher, I don't know. Because my things are a little small there. No, that is a good idea. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So pl placing Jesus Christ and Father on equal status. And uh, yeah, even the word and is important there. That is on equal status, you know, that is putting them on, on the equal status. Why did I put highlighted but by Jesus Christ? So that is agency. He's the author, basically. The word by, he has been an apostle by Jesus Christ and God the Father. So his call is coming from both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you, this call is a mysterious thing. Everybody at some point or the other will be wondering, has God called me? Has God called me? Has God called me? I tell you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are called by God. You are called by God. It is only how much you respond to this call is the question. In my own case, in my, in my, when I was in 20s, every time I go to a conference and they talk about missions and give an altar call, I would stand up, say, I want to go as a missionary. And I had a flair for picking up languages. Like I knew about, I, I know about eight or nine languages, Indian languages. I can learn very easily. Give me one week, I'll begin to read that language. So I thought I must go as a missionary to some place and learn the language and translate the Bible. That was my passion. But it never happened. Never happened. But I gave myself to study the word. That's another passion I have, to understand the word. Understand, and what is the meaning? What does it mean to me now? What does it mean to the church now? So this has been my passion for the past 40 plus years. So here am I. After 40 years, we start the church. After being a Christian for 40 years, starting the church. Not that I wanted to start a church. You know, when I was young, in my 20s, I just make some decisions. Those days, you didn't have internet to read news. You had to buy a newspaper. I said, I will not buy a newspaper. You had to buy magazines to get more information. I said, I will not buy magazines. Then you had to read, if you want to read fiction, you'll be buy, you had to purchase novels. I said, I will not spend money on novels, I will not read novels. I will read only the Bible. So these are the decisions I made when I was young, and they paid off richly in growing in the Lord for myself. Same way, when I read many Christian, many Christian books, I said, they have so much of wisdom, so much of knowledge. So even if I grow in my thing, I will never come near, anywhere nearer to this kind of a knowledge and wisdom. So I don't want to write a book, don't want to start a church or an organization. So these are the kind of thoughts I had in my, 
between 20 and 30 years of age. Now God says, this is time to start a church. So what do I have to do? Throw away my convictions and obey him. See, that is what call does to you is it will make you obey what God has for your life. When you have a call like Paul's, he was ardently following only one thing, to remove Christianity from the face of the earth. Stamp out from every village, every, every city. He was committed to it. But the call of God overtakes Paul's life. And he begins to preach the same thing he persecuted. How long does it take? In Damascus, he went into the church and began to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. They said, what? You came here to persecute us. You came here to take us captive. And you wanted to take us back as captives to Jerusalem. And now you are saying Jesus Christ is Lord. Can we believe you? Can we believe you? So that is what the call does to you. A 180 degrees turn. You are going this way. And the call comes to you. Turn back 180 degrees and you walk in the opposite direction. That's what call does. And for Paul it happened. And now his apostleship is again, he says, who raised him from the dead. So I have been appointed. I'm commissioned by resurrected glorified Christ. Not when Christ was walking on earth, but the resurrected Christ has appointed me. What a glorious truth. I tell you, Paul does not waste words. Paul doesn't waste words. Every word is weighty and full of matter, full of information. And then, and in the verse 2, he says, and all the brothers and sisters with me to churches in Galatia. So this is just something he writes. If somebody is with him, he will include them in the, in the beginning part. Brothers and sisters with me. It doesn't necessarily mean they are part of writing the letter. It is he who is writing. He, he, he is the one who is writing the letter. But he says, okay, these people are with me. They are also greeting you. That kind of a thing. In some other episodes, you will see, oh, Timothy is with me. Me and Timothy send greetings. But Timothy may not contribute to the letter much. It's how, that's how. But he, is, he includes people with him. He doesn't just say, I, all the time. He doesn't put his I. Some of us try to do it. Put our I is bigger than everybody else, but he doesn't do it. Yeah. So again, sent not from men, meaning neither Rome or neither Rome, or by man, sent in our high priest. Okay, we'll go to the next slide. So again, we already talked about Galatia is not just one church, but many churches in the re region of Galatia. Verse 3 and 4 and 5. We won't stop to read it. We'll go straight into verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, charis is the Greek word. Grace is undeserving favor. Undeserving favor is a Greek concept. It's a Greek concept. And peace, shalom, is a Hebrew concept. And Paul brought these two together and made a greeting, which is relevant to Christians today. You need grace of God, you need peace of God. And both of them come from the Holy Spirit. Is peace one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? And grace is fruit of the Holy Spirit? 
So he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, um, Greek for from is apo. That means the ultimate source. The ultimate source. That means no other source is higher than that source. So grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus, they are the ultimate source. There's one more Greek word which you, which you could have used, but he didn't use that. So you, he chooses his words carefully. So in the translation, sometimes we lose all this, but we have commentaries. That's the reason why we need to look into the commentaries to get the original meaning of what Paul is trying to say. So that's how we study the scripture anyway. And then the Greek, oh, that is already covered. Peace. Peace is the work of the Holy Spirit. Grace, the word is used 100 times or more in the scripture. But just Paul alone uses it 43 times. 43 times. So that means he was an apostle of grace. He spoke about grace more than all other people put together. All other people must have talked about grace, but he talked more about the grace. And that is the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. There's no grace, there's no gospel. Because you receive this forgiveness of sins freely by the divine volition. Because God decides to give the salvation. Not because you do anything. So that is the reason why it is the gospel of grace. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue, deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom the glory be forever and ever. Amen. You see the word gave in verse 4? The most famous word, verse in the Bible is John 3.16. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his son. That he gave his son. But Paul says here that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Is there a conflict here? No. Whatever the father decides, the son does. Whatever father wishes, son says, okay, I'm here. Lord is written about me in your book. I'm here to do your will, Jesus says. So there is no conflict. So father decides to send the son, and son says, I go give myself. There's no conflict between these. So God the Father gave his son, and Jesus gave himself for our sins. Do you see how everything fits together? It's not a conflict, it's not different. It's the same thing. So he gave himself for our sins. Our sins. Look nowhere else than Jesus I wrote there. That means for dealing with the sin, there's only one person who has done it in all time, space, and history. is Jesus Christ. He is the one who offered himself as a sacrifice upon the cross. So don't look beyond Jesus Christ. You need forgiveness of sins. You want peace with God. You want access into the grace in which you stand with him. It comes through Jesus Christ. He is all in all. And God has exalted him to be all in all. 
in the in the book of Ephesians we read that one. So here, he has given us our, um, himself for our sins to rescue. Other translations use the word deliver. So deliverance is not from the presence of sin, but power of sin. So what does this mean? Sin is in the world, very much. All around you in the community, you will see sin prevailing, pervading, permeating. Everywhere you see it. But you cannot run away from it. You cannot run away from it. From the presence of it, you cannot. But you can be delivered from the power of sin, from having rule over your life. Elsewhere, Paul says, you want to run away from the presence of sin, you have to leave the world. But that's not it. God has kept us in this world so that you can overcome sin. That you must experience the power of the Holy Spirit and be delivered from the power of sin. If you experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not allow the power of sin to rule over you. But if you do not experience the power of the Holy Spirit, then power of the world will rule over you. The sin will rule over you. So he has delivered us. He rescued us uh, uh, from the sin in this world. And then he says he res to rescue us from the present evil age. Paul has much to say about the evil age. You can see he talks about it in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. He talks about it. You were dead in your sins and transgressions. And goes on and on. And how Jesus has rescued us from it. And then you can, I think I have some scripture here for you. I'll come back to the slide again. So what is this world we are talking about? The evil age. So there's one person, a Trench, he defines it like this. All that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitute a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere, which at every moment of our lives we inhale, again, inevitably, we exhale. That is, the, that is how you describe what is the present evil age. This may not sound very much like a oh, revelation for you. I will give one more scripture that will make it more clear to you. Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Note those words, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is what is at work in the world. Anybody who is not a Christian is overpowered by the power of the prince of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of the mankind. Romans 1, 29 onwards. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That is the evil age. 
and Jesus has delivered us from the evil age. According to the will of our God, the Father. It originates in the will of God. It's God's desire to set us free from this present evil age. So we need the help of God. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to overcome. Somebody talks about rescue and deliver. If you want to understand a more graphic way, I can tell you. A tribal people came to know the Lord because a missionary went down there and preached the gospel. So somebody asked this tribal man, what did, what did Jesus do for you? So quickly he gathered a few leaves and made a circle and set fire on it. So there was a fire of circle, a circle of fire. I took an insect and put it in the mi middle. And the insect would try to crawl to the anywhere and then because of the heat it will come back and retreat back again. Then he put his hand, reached over through the fire and took it out and saved it. This is what Jesus did for me, he said. Rescue. Rescue from hellfire. Jesus has rescued you by pulling you out of the hellfire. If you don't believe him, it is waiting. He doesn't want you to go there. If you want to go, you can go. There's no, <laughs> it's a free choice. It's a free choice. And then you see in 2 Corinthians 5.14, because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. Now this is an interesting point. Who gave himself for our sins? What does it mean when he gave himself for our sins? When he died, you, are, you have died. When he has died, you have died. Tell your neighbor, when he died, you have died. This is a very, very important concept. Jesus has done something beautiful. If, you, if he asks you to go to the cross, you will not go. Will you? But he did it differently. He went to the cross. When he died, you have died in him. And that's a very powerful concept. So the same concept you see here in 2 Corinthians 5.14. Because you are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. But that becomes effective only when you believe in Jesus. That power of death to obliterate your past sins, to help you overcome the evil age, comes when you believe that you are united with Christ in his death. And verse 15, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You can also see one more verse, 1 Peter 2.24. Let's see whether there's a slide there for it. Yeah, it's there. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The purpose of this cross is to change you, to transform you completely so that you will not be living for yourself, but you will be living differently, to live in righteousness. That's the purpose of the cross. So when he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And one more word that comes more powerfully after this is his own experience. His own experience 
where he talks about it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have died, but I'm still alive. I have died with Christ, but I'm still alive. But what does he say? I think it's a King James thing that flows in my mind. Nevertheless, I live. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives in reigns in me. What a glorious testimony of Paul. What the cross can do for you is to bring this transformation in your life, to help you identify that you've been dead with him, to identify yourself that you're buried with him, to identify yourself with his resurrection and his ascension. All these things Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 very clearly. And where Christ is now seated is by the right hand of the Father. You are seated with him in the heavenlies right now there. You are sitting here and you are sitting in heavens right now in Christ Jesus. And when you realize that, the present evil age has no power over you. The present evil age has no power over you. That is why doctrine is important in the church. We have to give this teaching so that people will overcome sin in their life. Verse 6, I am astonished. The Greek word they use is thomazo. This is used in the New Testament 43 times. But Paul used only once here. Why do I say that? Paul uses his words very carefully. He didn't just throw it around everywhere. Here he means that this is important to use this word. So he was saying he was astonished, amazed, marvel, wonder. Why? Not because they, they are leaving the gospel. They, he is wondering and amazed, astonished, because they were leaving the gospel so soon, very quickly. He came, labored among them, established the churches, taught them. He goes away. Maybe in a year or two, somebody else comes and says, you guys need to be circumcised. And they're saying, oh, is it so? Maybe it's a good idea. So Paul was saying, there's no compatibility between grace and works. No compatibility between grace and works. The people, the Judaizers who came among them to tell them that they need to be circumcised, they were not saying other things about the law. You had to re-establish the uh, sacrifices. You had to re-observe all those things. They are not going with that. They were called, in another place, Paul calls them mutilators of flesh. Mutilators of flesh. They have only one purpose, to make the gospel less powerful. To make the gospel less powerful. And Paul says, hey guys, there's no way you can do it. These two things go together, don't go together. They are not the same. They are not the same. I'll come back to explain to you what, how he has used the different words in Greek. Marvel, that you are so quickly or so soon deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, returning to a different gospel. Deserting also means change of mind, turn away, fall away. So you are turning away from the gospel, you're turning away, you're changing your mind about the gospel, you're falling away from grace to the one who called you. You see, I told you, called and grace, they have a connection. In this verse, you see there, called, invite, appoint. You are not a Christian by accident. There are no accidental Christians. 
Say to your neighbor, you are not an accidental Christian. What does it mean? God has invited you, God has appointed you. God has invited you, he has appointed you to the faith so that, to, so that you will live in grace of Christ. You, will be, you are called to live in the grace of Christ, the unmerited favor of Christ, day in and day out, morning to evening, 24 by 7, to live in the grace of Christ. That is his call. That, that is his uh, purpose for you. And the deserting has happened. They were turning to a different gospel. So basically when you see the King James Version, or actually the original, the original Greek, they didn't use this word twice. Deserting and turning away basically is the same word, but the Greek uses only once. Just for the in the translation for us to make sense, they use the word twice. They use the word twice. So here, um, they're turning away to a different gospel. So what is different gospel? The word different in Hebrew, uh, sorry, in Greek is heteros. Heteros is, it is, a, it is two different things. Heteros is two different things. There's one more word in Greek that says alos. Alos is, if I have two of these um, clickers, that will be a different clicker, but of the same kind. A different clicker of the same kind. If I'm talking about it, I use the word alos. But if I'm talking about my cell phone and I'm talking about this, I got two things in my hand, heteros, they're different. So that is how Paul says, you are turning to a different gospel, heteros gospel. The heteros is so diametrically opposed, 180 degrees apart, they are not the same. One takes you to heaven, the other one takes you to hell. One takes you to the grace of God, other one takes you to self-inflicting uh, mentality where you have to do works, more works, more works, more works to gain the approval of God. But here, we are here to preach the gospel of grace. You cannot contribute anything to it. You bring none of your works. Just by your naked faith in the work of Christ, you receive grace and you are forgiven. You are made clean and you are accepted as son and a daughter of God and you have peace with God. That is the gospel of grace. This word different is again in the next verse, which is really no gospel at all. That gospel they are trying to teach you that you need to be circumcised is not a gospel at all. And the word used there is, um, this version, the, the NIV uses the word no gospel at all. But it's, uh, in, in the King James it says another again. So another is allos. That means it's not the same kind of a gospel. The gospel I preach and the gospel they preach, they are not the same kind. They're different. They're different. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So now again, throwing you into confusion. Stir up, confuse, trouble, disturb. King James has uh, trouble in this place particularly. Throwing you into confusion. The throwing the word throwing you is basically disturb in King James. Into confusion. They're trying to pervert, change, turn into something different. So this is what I want you to understand today. So many times, so many times, we want to 
substitute the gospel of grace with something else. We should be careful. You're reading the Bible, your quiet time, your prayer is not going to make you righteous. They are the disciplines of Christ, disciplines that will help you to grow in Christ, but that will not give you salvation. The salvation is only by faith and by grace, nothing else. I am glad I have come so far today. <laughs> I was not sure whether I can finish seven verses today. Romans 11 and 6. If by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So the gospel is by grace, not by works. Shall be close here. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord my God, I thank you for some of your children who have heard your word today. The call of God is coming upon them. The call to uphold the gospel, to preach the gospel, to take it to every nook and corner of the world. Somebody here will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart, nudging you to say, this call is for you. This call is for you. And that call comes with grace. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to leave Christ and go to some far off country. But it is, it is there in your heart. You are saying, how should I live for him? How can I live for him? How can I share the gospel? The Lord says, I have chosen you. I have appointed you. It is my grace that will be with you to live for me. The present evil age is surrounding you, is trying to suppress the call in you. And when you allow that call to be suppressed by the evil age, by what you see around you, then you are losing the fight. Do you want to say to the Lord, Lord, I want to respond to this call. May your grace increase in my life. I want to respond to this call. May your grace increase in my life. Just stand where you are. I want to pray for you. Receive this call and respond to the call. Because God wants to use you to take this gospel to somebody, somewhere, to impact somebody, to change somebody, pull somebody from hell, to put somebody on the path to heaven. If the call is coming in your heart, just stand where you are. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, for your children who are responding to your word. I commend them to your grace right now. I call them with your precious blood. Holy Spirit, continue to speak in their heart and guide them step by step by step. And I thank you, Jesus, for you defeated the present evil age. And Lord, when you put the, when you sow the word of salvation, the gospel of grace in their heart, it will yield fruit 30 times, 60 times, 90, 100 times. So I pray that that grace will be given to them now to multiply themselves, O God, Father, to the glory of your name by sharing the faith with others. And I pray for an impartation of grace that every time they open their mouth and share the gospel, may it never go waste in the name of Jesus, but bear fruit to the glory of your name. I invite the Holy Spirit to come with power upon them. Come, Holy Ghost. 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 Touch them now in the mighty name of Jesus. We bow before you. We worship you this morning. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. You are worthy of all our worship.
Jesus mighty name amen amen thanks for joining us at omega if you need prayer for healing or breakthrough or simply to find out more please head to our website or facebook page in the links below